Well, good morning. We're so glad that you've come. We appreciate you being here with us. We know, we sense, and I hope that you do as well, we need one another. And uh, you are an encouragement uh, to each of the people that are here, and I hope that we could be an encouragement to you as well. The thing that we're going to do together over the next number of moments is we're going to look at Scripture. Romans chapter 8 is where you could turn, Romans chapter 8. If you've got a screen with you or if you need a Bible, there should be one right in front of you, one of the black hardcover ones. You could take that with you if you need one. But I would ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5 here in just a moment. To remind you where we are in Romans, Paul has taken great pains. He's been very careful. I guess I shouldn't say pains. I doubt it was painful for him. But he's been very careful. He's been thorough. One second. All right. I think that's it. That's a two-cough limit, and I'm through it. So, he has been very careful, very thorough from the beginning of Romans uh, to describe just what it is we have in Jesus, why it matters. Started all the way back at the beginning of creation, what goes wrong in the fall, how every single person is underneath this wrath due us, this condemnation that's due us because of our sin, and then works his way all the way through the person and the work of Jesus the fact that He has given Himself for us and that if we would just trust, have the faith of Abraham, that we could be enveloped, that we could be in Christ and have all that He had and all that He will have would be ours. He's talked about then how the life of Jesus, once it's in us, begins to shift and change everything, starting from our standing with God. We have every expectation that if we're in Christ, we'll meet God and be accepted and welcomed by Him. Paul goes through and chapters 6 and 7, to describe how this relationship that we have with Christ, He also addresses and helps us to work through sin, ongoing struggle that we have with sin. In Romans chapter 8, I had to summarize what it is. Romans chapter 8 is describing in full detail how all these things are accomplished. What is it look like for this life of Jesus to work itself into us? Well, it looks like life in the Spirit. So chapter 8 is focused in large part on what is being done in us by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is not to be underestimated. I don't know your experience with the Holy Spirit. Some of you likely believe that we should emphasize and think about the Holy Spirit a lot more because your church background may have been focused and, and really sort of reveled in the work of the, of the Spirit. And I say that knowing that I have been to different churches, different contexts, different places where I was delighted to be surprised. It was not my background, so I was delighted to be surprised by most of what I experienced in those churches that emphasized the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There were times when I've been in services and I had to be reminded Though it felt so stupid, but I'd be reminded, oh yeah, the, the Holy Spirit is real and present and here and indwelling me. Maybe some of the rest of you, when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, you think to yourself, no, I came from a background that didn't emphasize it. And I've always said that's in large part been my experience. I grew up in a church that felt very much like the Trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And the Spirit of God was around-ish, but just don't talk too much. He might do weird things. I mean, that's kind of how it felt in some ways. But Romans chapter 8 is a helpful 
and instructive look at what it means to have the Spirit of Christ. And this should be something that we all yearn for. How else are we supposed to be made new from the inside out? How else are we to have the kind of transformation that is promised to us when we walk in faith with Jesus? How else, if God has not given us His Spirit? If the Spirit of Jesus is not indwelling us, we are hopeless. We are setting out on an exercise of futility because we're doing it in our own power. And Romans 8 is going to remind us and show us that our emphasis, that our life needs to be a constant receiving and walking with the Spirit of God. So that's what we're looking at. That's the theme of Romans chapter 8, I would say. And as I begin reading in the fifth verse, I'm going to read down through verse 11, then we're going to pause and we're going to pray together, but we're going to be thinking about the importance of thinking about the importance of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I'm going to think about the importance of thinking about the... Okay, that's how it works. You'll see. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I would appreciate it. I'd ask if you would bow with me. Let's consider together our need, the fact that we can't understand these things very well in our own power, and that God is here and desiring to meet us. So let's pray together. God, all things are laid bare before you. There's no hidden thoughts here this morning. We don't have a a store of secrets. We may act as though we're hidden. We may withhold ourselves from you, but it is on us and not you. You are ever present, you know us through and through. And so I ask that you'd help us to be a bit more honest this morning, a bit more vulnerable, that we would bring our whole selves and offer that to you. I pray, God, that you would be gracious to us. We want to understand, to see, to know wonderful things in your law. Specifically, we want to know what it is to live according to the Spirit of God. Help us to not have mere 
just statements that we believe. We want the life that comes with walking with Jesus. And so I'm asking that you would overcome, God, all of our doubts. We've come with with hurts. There are real things that are pressing in on us. And as we turn this time over to you and turn our whole selves over to you, God, I pray that you would be a redeeming, a healing God. Jesus, you are gentle and lowly. You say that we should come to you, that you would give us rest. So I pray for the kind of rest and rejuvenation that happens when we, when we read Scripture and when we learn from it. I pray that for everyone who's gathered here. God, please encourage, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Romans is, is amazing in so many different ways, but one of the things that's so amazing about it is that it seems like it's Paul's attempt to say everything that he can about what the gospel is and what it means, that it impacts all parts of life, all circumstances, every kind of sin, every kind of background. And I think about that in connection to the great commandment, because sin, after all, is a breaking of God's law, and one of the first and foremost, the most fundamental things that we've done is we've failed to love God, and this is what the great commandment is, we've failed to love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We failed to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, our whole beings have failed, and there's been some sense of fallenness impacting every bit of us. So then, if Jesus is to save people like that, if we're to have redemption and renewal, then it must be that we will find life where death once was in each of these aspects of ourselves. If we have failed to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, then what Jesus is up to when He redeems us is to help us love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And in that way, this is a a little thought, this gospel in Romans is whole news. Now that sounds like whole foods, but it's whole news. And that could be a, a bit of a title over these sections, these chapters of Romans, that the good news is whole news. And this in Romans 8 now is focusing on that third aspect of how are we supposed to love God and how have we failed? What needs to be renewed? Well, it turns out that our minds need to be renewed. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5, tells us that one of the most important things about us, in fact, one of the most important things about any person is their default thinking. Where is their mind? Now, this is an interesting thought. I don't know... You don't have to say it out loud, but what do you think, because my guess is that many of us don't know, unless you somehow figured out a way to tap your brainwaves, what do you think you think about most? Like if I just, at any random point, invaded your brain, and it's terrifying, but I just invaded your brain, what do I find most often? What's rolling through? What have you given time to in your mind? I can think of a million different options. 
leisure, vacation planning, escape is maybe how we could categorize that one. You're just imagining and thinking about escape. Thinking about work, problems, thinking about school, tests that are coming, thinking about the conversation you had yesterday that didn't go well and how you would redo it, thinking about all the witticisms and the burns that you're going to give if given another opportunity. Are you anxious, thinking about all the things that went wrong, all the things that could go wrong, worry, anger, lusts, coveting? I mean, what is taking up the space in your brain? Because Romans is going to tell us that because this is a whole gospel, it's whole news, and because we fail to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, that the Spirit of God is actually determined to reset our very minds, our brains, the things we think about. What we default to in life is a part of this message. And this is one of those areas where I think that almost all research points out, because turns out that God is true and all truth is God's truth, almost all research points out that the things that we think about, the power of the mind, is really amazing. There are instances where body is sick and there is a psychosomatic connection that cannot even be fully understood. You know that sometimes in the testing of drugs, in the pharmaceutical market, if you give someone the medicine and tell them what, they, what you think it should do for them, that many times you can get the same result by giving them no medicine, simply because you told them to expect in their brains that this is what should be done for them. There's been some articles recently actually that said that placebo seems to be getting more and more powerful that it is more difficult to overcome simply what people think will happen if you give them a medicine. Now, this is some Jedi kind of stuff. <laughs> the point is, and I think Scripture tells us this, do not underestimate the impact of what you give your minds to. And so there's going to be two words that I'm going to focus on here, two Things to, to think about, little buckets, places to put, to put what is happening in Romans chapter 5. And they're very straightforward and simple. Mindset, we need to think about and transform and offer up our mindset. And then secondarily, to think about the molding that takes place because of it. Mindset and molding, very simple. So let's look at the words that Romans 8 uses. What does Paul's remedy for this thing that we often do, many of us, rather than leading our minds, we're led by our minds. Does that make sense? If I asked you, what's the thing you think about most, you may say to yourself, I don't know, just whatever happens to me. Do you ever feel like that, that you're just being carried around by whatever happens to invade? In other words, you don't have very good gates on your brain at all. You just let anything invade, anything can set up shop, just building castles in there, right? And so mindset 
is a phrase for a reason. It's actually a scripture reason. It says here in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that one of the things you should pay attention to, one of the remedies to just being led around by your brain is to set it. That phrase is used five different times in these verses that we read. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds. Huh, there must be a kind of setting that can happen. But those who live, who live according to the Spirit set their minds. Same phrase twice in, the, in verse 5. Beginning of verse 6. For to set the mind, and I think that's the most interesting one because he says for to set, meaning it's something that you can do. It's active. What are those called in, in English class and grammar when it's to something? That's how we introduce verbs, right? It's an infinite. It's an infinite. It's an infinitive. Don't split your infinitives. I remember that. My teacher said, no, no. So, for to set the mind, Paul's imagining this not as, a, not as a practice or not as something that is done to us, but something that we can do. This is a verb. For to set the mind in the beginning of verse 6, then later in verse 6, twice again in the same verse, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And then verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, hostile to God. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to just offer up and say it must be possible to set our minds places. It must be possible to take control of this aspect of our being. And it must be not only possible, but it must be the intention of the Spirit of God to help us in this endeavor to give us a path forward. Because, after all, we are to use our minds not for whatever it is that we want, not merely for leisure, not merely for escape, not merely for work and problem solving, not merely for anxiety, not merely for fighting out all the fights you wished you'd won, but our minds are a part of the way that we will love God eternally. And we must be governed by the Spirit to set our minds in this particular way. And this is not a, an uncommon thing. Paul says nearly the same thing in the beginning of Colossians. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 1, right at the beginning. In this sense, he actually gives us a little bit of an imagery first, but then same phrase. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And here it is, beginning of verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is like a shortened version of what we just read in Romans chapter 8. A very, very shortened version, but he says that same phrase again, set your minds. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about setting something somewhere, there's a few different things that uh, are possible. You ever had the experience where you're holding something, and in the moment that you either find the thing or you've used the thing, your brain gets a bright idea, and all of a sudden the importance of that item comes to you, and you say to yourself something like this, I need to put this somewhere special. I need to put this somewhere so that I'll always know where it is. And what usually happens when that's the case? You will never find it again. <laughs> that somewhere special 
is outer space. I don't know where it goes. It's like a furnace. It just burns up. Wherever you've put it, burn up. This happened just last week, and it is so infuriating because I need the thing, and then I think to myself, I intentionally put the thing in a place so that I would find the thing when I needed the thing, but here I am needing the thing, and I can't find the thing. So, I don't want, I want to say, I don't believe that's what Scripture is saying, although it's possible to do this. We may think that churchy things belong in church. We may think that spiritual things belong in our special chair at home. I don't need to think about spiritual things. I had a quiet time this morning, and those seven and a half minutes were amazing. It's possible that we could take these things and we could believe them to be so inaccessible and so important that we just kind of set them somewhere to be lost forever. I don't think that's the mindset we should have on what does it mean to set your mind somewhere. Instead, the thinking here seems to be similar, we're not going to read it, but similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, which is that we should dwell on certain things. So, If you want to make sure for sure that something is going to be kept, you may say something like this, I'm just going to live with this thing. It's just going to be, you're going to maybe add a fourth thing. Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit could be a fourth thing. You know the the holy trifecta of being a male, right? Phone, keys, wallet. Phone, keys, wallet. Maybe you just keep those with you at all times. Right? You just always know. It's just phone, keys, wallet. Maybe dwelling on or setting your mind on something should be more like phone, keys, wallet, mind on the Spirit. Phone, keys, and I mean, I know it's cheesy, but you want to live with it. You want it on you at all times. So I think about the intentionality, and I already mentioned Jedi's. Been watching with the kids the book of Boba Fett. I don't know if anybody's watched that, but it's actually surprising There's a bunch of episodes that aren't even close to about Boba Fett. Sorry for the spoiler. (laughs) I'm not kidding. At one time I'm watching this show and I actually paused it in the middle to go make sure I was on the right show. Like, I don't know what happened, but okay. So I'm watching an episode of, uh, man, I'm just spoiling everything. I hate spoilers more than anything. I just want you to know that. Um, I don't think I can not spoil this. So think of setting your mind more like, more like uh, Yoda used to teach Luke to set his mind on things, to control, to have a kind of power over. There's an intentionality here that is very purposeful, takes effort, is an ongoing manner. Maybe set your mind to this idea of set. It's more like the careful setting of the center stone in a, in a diamond ring or something. And then that is going to be worn and seen regularly. The centerpiece of a, of a table that you sit around, that is always there, always in view. This is not, oh, I found something, and I want to make sure I know where it's at later, so I'm going to set it over there. It is not to set aside, but to set at the forefront of who we are and what we do. Now, it turns out that according to Romans chapter 8, that we have 
an opportunity. We have an opportunity to go one of two directions, that there is a sense in which the things we think about and that govern us are, according to this passage, either of the flesh or of the Spirit. Now, this word flesh has been translated a bunch of different ways. It likely does not mean what it is by definition what it means. I mean, flesh, the reason it's translated as flesh is it it could legitimately mean the actual skin and muscle and blood and ligament kind of stuff that hangs off of our skeleton. But in the terms of spiritual thinking, flesh here simply means the things that we default to, the things that are opposed to God's commands, the things that bring about death in us, not life. And see, that's the funny things about our minds. When I asked you earlier, what do you think about the most? If you somehow could figure that out, let's just say I gave you the pie chart or a bar chart. I don't know what's better for stats, but you just get the chart. How many of us would cringe in particular categories and you might actually, if you were forced to, write underneath it, does this lead to life or does this lead to death? How many of us feel captured by, defaulted to, things that you'd say to yourself, oh, that just does not need that much space in my brain? And I believe that there would be categories of what's space and brain, some things that we would want to hide the chart. We'd like right-click hide column, right? This is Excel document kind of stuff. You just hide it. I mean, it, death is all over the thing. You know, like, there's just no other path. This is, this is so bad for me or for anyone, it's obvious. And we're going to read that, this idea of obviousness of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 in a minute. There may be some other things, though, that you'd have to bust out your, you know, first college course of economics to realize. And that is that maybe you wouldn't just write poison across the top of the chart. But what it is, is it represents a massive and great opportunity cost. So you'd say to yourself, well, this may be innocuous, but I guess if I'm honest, there could be a bit of a waste of my mind here. This is the, this is the category that would be filled up by 3 a.m. Wikipedia goose chases, right? You just didn't maybe need to necessarily. And then my guess is there would be other categories where you said, you know what, this is an encouraging thing. This is a building thing. This was a comforting thing. This was for the good of others. This was a, a worshiping God thing. This was a confessing thing. This was a being a vulnerable thing. These, these things, vulnerable for God maybe, or others, a confession kind of thing. And you would see immediately as you looked through and parsed out, what am I letting my brain go to that what you think about eventually leads to, this is the second category, what Romans tries to say is, I think, two things. One, you can set your mind, that's where mindset comes, but second, that if you let this bar chart roll out for year after year after year after year, that what you think about will mold you. What you think about will mold you. It's why I'm not a super fundy person, I don't think. I'm not all that I think on average I'm prudish, but I'm, I don't think I'm like unreasonably prudish when it comes to media or music or songs. I don't freak out if I hear that my, co- my kids know the lyric of a, of a secular song, 
We usually listen to it together or whatever else. Like, I'm not... So, I don't think I'm that far, but I also believe that many of us are in denial about how we are able to engage our brains or thinking or mindset or our eyes on things endlessly over the course of time and then say something like this, well, sure, but that doesn't mold me. I mean, I'm not being changed by that. I'm just, I'm just a cultural connoisseur. And you might not say that out loud, but you may say it to yourself subtly. So the thing that I would talk with my kids about, hopefully the thing that I'm telling myself about, is to say over and over and over again that Scripture tells me that I can set my mind, and that's not a small thing, it's a big thing because it molds me. Verse 6 of Romans chapter 8, this is where I'm getting into molding you. It's it's actually pressing you in a direction. Verse 6 tells us, to set the mind on the flesh is death is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So one direction, death. Other direction, funny, speaking of secular music, one direction. So, so one direction, death. The other, the other direction, the other direction, life and peace molded. You're actually being molded. You are less static than you think, even the most boring of you. No matter how much you say, I'm just a routine person. I just really am. I'm just a routine person. Well, in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, what we find is, is that you are a being molded person more than you might be willing to admit. And it turns out that this possibility of having your mind set on things of the the flesh. Now, here's my take on this. I believe what I experience in myself is that setting my mind on things that would be considered flesh, again, in scriptural terms, it doesn't mean just the stuff that hangs off. It means things that lead to death, things that are going to be easy or default fallenness. What I find is setting my mind in that direction is as easy as not thinking about it. It's as easy as putting up a sail and letting the wind and the waves take me on a sea. It feels like doing nothing. And I've said this before, I hate that about the fallenness of the world more than anything. That nearly every single thing that is good is more difficult. I've said before, I don't know why you can't get ripped just by laying around. What if that was the default? Well, here's my problem. By default, my muscles just grow. That's not the way the world is in this fallen place. Why couldn't vegetables taste better? And I know all of you who love vegetables, but they do. (laughs) No, they don't. I don't know why that's the case, but setting your mind on the things of the flesh to be molded in that way probably feels like the default for you. And it will take, and it turns out that God has been gracious to give His Spirit to arrest us, to make us give thought to what are we giving our moments to, our minds to, and to send us off in a different direction. Now, one of the basic principles of interpreting the Bible or thinking through the Bible is to interpret the Bible through the Bible because it is written through the one Spirit of God, and in this case, many times it's been written by the same author. 
So we've already read Colossians chapter 3, but I want to look now at Galatians chapter 5 because Galatians 5 makes a connection here perhaps closer than Colossians did about how you are molded. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, slightly different metaphor, but I think the same principle, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, so now we have walk by and led by. And I think having your mind set on the Spirit to follow Him seems like similar principles to me. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And I take a breath in the middle of the list. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 19 said, the works of the flesh are evident. They are easily hide column kind of stuff. But, he says in verse 22, and this is the part that you probably know more. This is the kind of thing that you long for. This was cross-stitched more regularly at grandma's. This is a wonderful section. We all want this, but note where it's, where it's, it's downstream. It's downstream from setting your life on the Spirit of God. So let's read, starting verse 22 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Galatians 5 sandwiches together and couches these principles. The way you get to the things that promote life in you, the things that if you're just honest, you say, you know what, when I think on those things, when I dwell there, when I rest there, I know that it contributes to life. The way that you get there is to depend on, to walk by, to set your mind on, to live by or be led by, to keep in step with. You see all these metaphors coming together, the Spirit of God. And it is the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, that will not rest until you've been renewed in your mind so that you could be molded in your character. The ministry, the work of the Spirit, is to, according to the Bible, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. So it is the thing that awakens your mind to say, wait, I shouldn't be doing this. And sometimes I can't believe we don't think that. I remember one time... I mean, there's no other word for it. Back, back when I was younger, I don't know what we would have called it. We might have just called it horsing around. I mean, we bullied a kid, what we did. He was a couple years younger. He was playing football. He wanted to play. Wasn't great. And just like this kind of teasing, bumping into, you know, like just knocking over. And I think about I mean, this is like one of those moments of deep shame for me. Like, I can replay the moment. 
And you know what I think sometimes? How was I not awakened or didn't realize in the moment just how hideous this was? You ever have things like that? It's like your brain's broken. You're legitimately disabled in your thinking. And it turns out that to be molded and changed, that one of the ministries of the Spirit is to convict you concerning these things. So what it might be to set your mind on the Spirit of God is to say something like this. It's like a, um, like a home security system, like an alarm goes off. You know those ones where you walk around the corner and the light flashes? It's got an auto kind of thing. One of the things to set your mind on the Spirit would be to say, I have the Spirit set to monitor so that when I engage in things that I just know are terrible, the thing starts to go off. You know what is a horrible place to be? It's horrible to live in a place where you have no spirit monitoring. You're just wide open. The gates are just, just open. No awareness. You are dead concerning sin and righteousness. Another thing that the Spirit of God do, does, according to Jesus in, in John, he's talking to his disciples, he says that the Spirit, when you set your mind on the Spirit, when you have the Spirit, Jesus says He's going to bring to you remembrance all that I taught you. So setting your mind on the Spirit might be to focus on and remember the things that have been taught by Jesus, to remember the law of God, to remember the promises of God, the good things that have been given to us. Another ministry of the Spirit what happens when we have our minds set on the Spirit is to remember that the Spirit is with us. He is a helper. That's the word in the New Testament for the Spirit often and what He does. He's a paraclete. He comes alongside to comfort. So the Spirit of God is a comforter for you. Just to remember that you're not alone. To remember that you can be redeemed, to remember that you can be forgiven, to remember that you're going to make it, to remember that God is in control. These kind of comfort things come from the ministry of the Spirit. And as you remember these things, you will be changed from the inside out. You'll be changed not only in heart and in soul, but in your mind. You see, the ultimate, we're going to get this at the end of Romans chapter 8, the ultimate purpose of all that God has done in His work of redemption is to transform us and to conform us to Jesus Christ, to make us like Him. And what's being described here is this process, sometimes slowly over the course of time, taking place. The work of the Spirit of God was present in you when you confessed your sins and you first were justified and made right with God. That is what we call regeneration. So if, if there is a, a reawakening or an ability to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, the heart and soul are renewed. You become a new creation. What is a heart of stone previously? Heart of flesh now. That is a work of the Spirit. And we go on, and Paul says, also I just want you to know that the work of the Spirit of God is given to renew your minds to reset your default, to help you to lean toward things that are of life and peace, not death. <clears throat> Sorry, I broke the limit. More coughs. Finally, verse 11, 
leaves us with this promise. So it's not just a, a mindset kind of thing like, tomorrow we'll go better and I'll be happier. But all of these things work together. If it is in fact the Spirit of God that has made you new, regenerated you, then it will be the Spirit of God as you set your mind on the things of the Spirit who will renew your mind. And it's tied to this final promise in verse 11 of Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead and give life to your mortal bodies. Your resurrection itself is tied in this unbreakable chain of the work of the Spirit of God in you. If you trust that your sins have been forgiven and your heart has been made new, that is a ministry of the Spirit of God. If you believe that moment by moment and day by day you need a transformation, a renewal of your mind, that is a ministry of the Spirit of God. And if you believe that one day your broken down body with all of its foibles and coughs, I stubbed my pinky toe yesterday, and it's terrible, you know, all that kind of stuff, we need a renewal of our bodies as well. And if you believe that one day you'll overcome death itself and eternally dwell with God, a perfect being, then that is also a ministry of the Spirit who dwells in you. Romans chapter 8, at the end of all things, is an apologetic to remember the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And insofar as we are anemic or ignore or let the default run, we have lost the power of the Christian life. There's no other path to life and peace but submission to the Spirit of God. So, I would invite you. Sometimes the commands of Scripture are, listen. Sometimes the commands of Scripture are, trust. Sometimes the commands of Scripture are, rest. In this case, the command, and remember, commandments are not burdensome. This is a path to life and peace. The command of Scripture is to take hold of your minds by the power of the Spirit. To dwell on things that are true and lovely and peaceable. It's not a small thing. We have allowed ourselves, and I'm, I'm saying myself, I allow myself far too much leeway in my brain. One of the ways that I know that I've been tired or burnt out or a little bit to the side, I am immediately cynical. I believe the worst. I'm anxious about the outcome because I think, oh no. And I allow myself to live there. I allow myself to think, as long as I'm not actively, grotesquely sinning, I must be okay, but the reality is I'm setting a course and a trajectory for the molding of my soul by letting my mind run free. And I believe that what Paul says is, brothers and sisters, you have the Spirit of Christ in you, this must not be. So let's ask God to help us set our minds. Let's pray.